Hey there, this is Mark Kenyon of Wired Hunt, and you're listening to the audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast, a collaboration between Wired to Hunt and Drury Outdoors, in which I, my co-host Matt Drury, and a special guest answer your very own hunting questions. And in today's episode, we're joined by Bernie Berenger, an outdoor writer and DIY bow hunting extraordinaire, and he's going to help us answer a question from a listener trying to figure out how to hunt a piece of property that he has to share with nearly 20 other hunters and with limited time to scout and hunt. It's a really interesting conversation, so stick around and enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to episode number seven of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and with me is Matt Drury of Drury Outdoors. How you doing, Matt? Good, man. How are you? Not bad at all. I'm back in the Midwest, finally, after two months, so it's nice to be home. It was like, uh, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> where where <laughs> were to... you since the last time we talked? <laughs> since the last time, well, a uh, month or so ago, I was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Then the month of July, I was in Bozeman, Montana, and all over the place out there, scouting a new whitetail hunting spot out there. But uh, as of yesterday, I'm in Michigan. So uh, I already checked trail cameras. Uh, I already looked at my food plots. So I'm definitely ready to get back in the game. <laughs> so what of, of your trip, of all your travels, what was your favorite piece or part? Oh, man. Uh, it'd probably be two. If I there'd be a tie, I'd say one would be the fly fishing. I had a blast fly fishing out there in both states. Caught my biggest trout ever on a fly, which was a lot of fun, on the Yellowstone River. Um, and then the second piece actually might be the whitetail scouting I did out there, there are some great deer in Montana. I don't want to spill the beans too much, but um, I found some really cool spots, saw a lot of deer, so I'm really excited to get back out there and uh, hopefully be able to get on one of these public land bucks that uh, that I think I've sort of got patterned. I think I've got a spot where I can pull it off with the bow on public land, so uh, I'm pretty stoked about it. That's exciting, man. So I was going to ask you if it was if it was a lease or if it was public or whatever, but how many acres? I mean, in the public land area, is it is it a couple thousand or is it a hundred or what? What are you working with there? So I'm working with a bunch of different little spots. Um, so I like my main area that I think I'm going to be able to get it done is a combination of a piece of state land and a piece of what they call block management land, which is private land that's open to public hunting. And probably between those two pieces, it's uh, 400 acres or something like that, uh, maybe bigger than that. Um, but there's a whole bunch of other areas in the same general region that I'm probably going to bounce around on just based on you know where other hunters and where they're not, based on what I'm seeing. Um, it's going to be really, you know, fly by the seat of my pants because I'm going to get down there the night before opening day and just do a lot of glassing, try to figure out what the deer are doing, adjust on, you know, based on other people and see what I can pull off in seven days. So on that hunt, will you be self-filming, you know, with the, the Verve or the GoPro or something like that? Or is it just kind of going out, getting back to your roots and, and doing it, uh, you know, without a camera in tow? Oh man, no! It's, I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm gonna be self-filming with probably two or three cameras. I'm gonna try to do live video on Facebook, Snapchat stories, all the whole nine yards. I'm gonna try to post daily blogs on Wired to Hunt. Um, so I'm gonna really try to document this one because surprisingly, I actually have decent cell service out there and internet connection. Um, but I'm gonna be camping in a little state land campground and uh, trying to try to work, hunt, make it all happen. So now will your wife go with you on this trip or is it just you? This one's just me. It's a solo trip. Um, but then I'm out there for seven days. And then at the end of that 
two of my friends are flying into the airport. I'm picking them up, and then we're going elk hunting for another week in Idaho. So. Wow, that sounds like a great trip. Is that coming up in late August or early September, or when is that? September 3rd is opening day in Montana. So first week, whitetail, second week, elk in Idaho. So I'm getting, getting pretty excited. Well, good luck with it. I look forward yeah. to the next podcast so we can talk about it some more. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll definitely have uh, some stories to share once we get into September. What about you? Are things coming along with your lease or different properties? Yeah, yeah. So we've been up there quite a bit. Um, of course, we've got the reconnaissance cameras out, got uh, the analogics out. We've been I last year I put quite a bit of um, supplement 365 out during the summer. This year I try in a new product they have called Jack. It's just add corn. So you know we're going over to the you know local feed store, getting a bunch of corn, putting it out, and mixing this Jack in with it. And it's 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 got the secret recipe or the secret sauce from the supplement 365, and it's unbelievable what kind of a an attractant this stuff is. We've done comparisons where we just had corn out and and then what kind of pictures the uptick in pictures when we have corn and analogics mixed in together and it's it's unbelievable the amount of attractant so the camera the pictures are starting to roll in we're getting excited we got some good pictures still have to plant the food plots though so you know here we are it's uh august 3rd and here where we're at in, in the middle of missouri we've been getting a ton of rain. So every time, which you would think, hey, that's great, <laughs> but we haven't been able to get our food plots in yet. So yeah. <laughs> we, we got we to gotta get a, a little bit of a break, and then we're going to get in and, and plant uh, the biologics. So looking, looking forward to it. Uh, it. It should be a good season. I have a, uh, My wife's going to be having a baby here the beginning of November. So I'm not Ooh. sure what my season holds. So <laughs> I'm hoping that I can pattern something early and uh, use some of that MRI from, from last season and try to capitalize. But we'll, we'll see. Oh, but get, man, the get timing excited. on that one, that's pretty rough, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've, I've heard. I've gotten a lot of memes. Like all my friends are texting me memes of like you, you've probably seen them on, on social media mm-hmm. where, you know, guys are making a lot of fun of me. Oh yeah, I bet that that's the one thing with I shouldn't talk too much about this, but but with my wife, that's like the one agreement we have in place. We can't be having a baby in November. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all good in theory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. All right. Well, so, what do we have on tap today, man? Yes. We we do have a, a pretty exciting guest and topic for today that I, I think is um selfishly I think it's going to be helpful to me with my situation I just shared, you know, with the public land stuff in Montana, some of the out-of-state hunts I've done. I think a lot of people listening and viewing this one, I think they'll be able to relate to some of the strategies and tactics we're going to talk about. And our guest today is Bernie Berenger, a very successful freelance outdoor writer, the author of The Freelance Bow Hunter, and a hunter that I've really looked up to. Um, so, Bernie, are you are you here with us? Hey, I'm really excited to be here with you. Good awesome. Deal. We are, too. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, you guys, hey, no problem. I'm looking forward to it. This is a real challenge. Yeah, so you guys have done a the Wired Hunt podcast together before, right? Yes. What was, yeah, the, we, what was the topic one, that uh, day? <laughs> yeah, Bernie, do you remember what we talked about on that one? Yeah, we talked about analyzing a new property, uh, public hunting land, and uh, just trying to figure out how to pattern deer and really pressured areas on public hunting land. We kind of made a big circle and covered a lot of stuff with regard to DIY hunting. Yeah, That actually will kind of help in today's discussion once we get into the actual question of the day. I think there probably is a lot of mirroring 
theories there, I would think. So I look forward oh, yeah. to diving into this one. Yeah, when I heard this question uh, from from our listener that we're going to take a look, listen to here soon, I, I definitely thought of, of Bernie as one of the first people I thought we'd want to talk to about this because so many of the things that we talked about last time that you talked about in your book, The Freelance Bowhunter, I think they can apply to to Steve's issue here. So maybe without beating around the bush, we should give a listen to that question of the day and then just jump right into it. Hi, my name's Steve and I'm from the Kansas City, Missouri area. My question is, how would you hunt a pressured area that you have extremely limited access to? Specifically, I work on an active military base where we have the ability to deer hunt approximately 2,000 acres of varying habitat and quality. There are two main timber stands, one around 350 acres and one around 1,100 acres, and the remaining area is scrub brush and pasture. We're allowed to use trail cameras during the season, but we can only access the hunting areas starting August 15th through the end of the Missouri bow season. The larger tract of timber is behind the firing range and is only available on the weekends. The rest of the acreage is available all week long during the hunting season. Hunting is limited to employees, and last year, around 20 people registered to hunt, probably 10 of whom hunt seriously. I've hunted this property for three years now with limited success. Knowing these limitations and the fact that you can't make any habitat improvements, how would you hunt this property? All right, Bernie, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this is a real challenging one. And, uh, you know, my first thought when he described this was if there is much food available actually in the timber, I'm assuming because he's near Kansas City that there is, uh, there's some oaks and, and so forth, so there would be some acorns. But I got a feeling that uh, the surrounding area, um, having hunted in northern Missouri and northwestern Missouri several times, I'm, so I suspect that there is a, a lot of crop fields around the area, and so these deer are probably moving outside the actual area to feed. So, um, you know, looking at an aerial photo here, it appears that there's probably corn and soybeans, maybe some milo and so forth. So I, the first thing that the, the biggest hurdle that he has to come over is that he can't get in the woods until August 15th. So my suggestion would be try to scout this as much as you can from the outside in. And maybe there's some places where you can get up on top of a hill and glass where these deer are feeding, um, put a spot scope on a window mount and spend some evenings out there. Um, now this two weeks of August is probably the time of the year that the bucks are most visible. So my uh, starting point is to try to, uh, as much as you can before that August 15th time period when he can actually get in the woods. So once once he does that scouting from the road and starts seeing where some of these deer maybe are feeding, what about when he actually gets on the ground August 15th? With with so much ground available, you know, I could see that being kind of intimidating when you have 2,000 acres of land to potentially hunt. Now, yeah, he does have three years of previous experience, but um, – maybe even just to generalize this a little bit, if someone new was coming to a situation like this with 2,000 acre, acres to try to break down in just a few short weeks to figure it out, you know, what would you recommend they do once they actually get on the ground? Uh, my first strategy would be to take a backpack full of trail cameras and August 15th, the first day that you can get out there, I'd be putting cameras on uh, uh, any sort of food source and any trails. I'd find the bedding areas. Um, the deer probably are bedding when they can. He, he talked about overgrown pasture and scrub brush. That's a place I would look for the bedding areas. I'd look at the ridges. 
where, uh, you know, the mature bucks in particular, they like the bed where they can uh, bed on the backside of ridge with the wind blowing over their back and they can see down below them. So you'll find evidence of that. I would just get as many trail cameras as the guy can, uh, um, can, you know, can afford, I guess, and get out there and put those cameras out and then really just start scouting the edges of it. He mentioned that it has limited access, but he wasn't very specific about that. I don't, I don't know if that means, you know, you can't, drive an ATV or a truck, it doesn't look like there's very many roads on this. So, uh, you know, the key is probably going to be really burning the boot leather. And um, a lot of people on public land, they think, well, if you just get way back off the road, then you'll really find the deer. And, and at times that can be the case. But i found that a lot of times the best places to find the deer are on the edges of the public land where um, it's hard to get to. Uh, there's no road access to it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where these deer are typically, they don't, they don't care about the boundaries. And I don't, I don't think this thing is completely fenced in that prevents deer from moving on and off the property. So they are crossing boundaries all the time. And that, that would be some of your high percentage areas to get some cameras out there and really learn how these deer are moving and also inventory the box. You know, you're, by the time, uh, the first week in September comes, you're going to start seeing some, um, some rubs and, and even some scrapes at that time. So I would suggest getting cameras on that. Well, I was just going to add to that. You know, we have the privilege of seeing a little bit of a more backed out view of the aerial, and it looks like he's got the majority of the timber in the area you know, on, on, that, on that base to hunt. So, you know, one of the things you really got to think of, too, is if, all the, if there are deer there, they're probably going to be sucked into his timber just based on the fact there's not a lot of timber around there. The one thing that we really don't know from his question, he said there's 10 to 20 different hunters, but is it a draw system or, I mean, is it just, they kind of go, you know, they can all go wherever they want to go. How does that Bernie, how does that affect how you put cameras out and and your approach? If if anybody can be walking around and, and sitting at any spot at any one time. Yeah, I, that's a that's a really good point, and I think the key to that is, um, you know, 20 hunters on 2,000 acres, I, I don't consider that pressured land. Uh, certainly there's other human activity going on out there, particularly during the week. Uh, there's a lot of people moving around, and there's a firing range, you know, the, the type of things that are typically on a military base. I've hunted the Fort Riley military base in Kansas several times, and I think it's a real similar situation, although there's very little timber except for small patches on on fort riley but there's a lot of activity there's tanks driving up and down the road while you're hunting you know so um these deer are pretty acclimated to a lot of human activity so i wouldn't worry too much about you know spooking the deer and so forth um but the key to it i think is uh, is finding the bedding areas finding where they're going to feed and that's the that's the key to your early season you know, when the rut comes, you know, he's going to have a couple of weeks. I think he said that this ends at the end of the first archery season, which is about the middle of November in um, Missouri, if I'm correct. So he's got plenty of time in there to really get things going. And so he has a pretty good idea where the bedding areas are, particularly where the does are bedding. So he's got a lot of work to do, but it's it's definitely doable. And some of these huge blocks of timber, you know, maybe they don't, um, hardly ever see a footprint in them. So it could be that uh, a guy can just get a little farther um, off the road and find a nice oak ridge somewhere where the deer are feeding uh, in the daylight 
pretty much undisturbed. But my first Im- impression was I want to really look at the edges of this and concentrate my um, initial efforts really uh, at least eliminating it, if nothing else. And when you when you start on a new property like this, Bernie, uh, we talked about this a little bit in the past. You would mentioned how you sometimes use observation stands when you're starting on a new property or you know on a new season in a relatively new place where you kind of, like you mentioned, kind of hunt your way in, start out wide, learn, observe, and then adjust. Do you think that's something that Steve could apply in this type of situation if he's exploring different parts of the property maybe he hasn't in the past? Is he trying to figure it out in that early part of the season? Yeah, I think that would be a really good strategy, in particular if these deer are moving out into soybean and cornfields to feed in the evening. Um, you know, your first tree stands might be not exactly on location where you feel like you're going to have a chance to shoot a buck, but it might be in an area where you can see more activity that you can't see from the road or from an observation point elsewhere. Um, you know, that's that's a good strategy. Um, the other key to it is a lot of times I'll put a stand right on the edge of a field so I can see a lot and then when I kind of get a feel for what the movement patterns look like then I'm going to back off the field a little ways and try to find one of these areas where the bigger bucks um, they tend to hold off and and you know a lot of people call them staging areas that's what I call them where a lot of times they'll be there a half an hour before full dark and they'll just kind of watch the does and young bucks in the field and they'll just hang around back there do a little rubbing and and, um, you know, maybe walk back and forth, uh, you know, scent checking the field and so forth, and then enter right at the last minutes of daylight. And so those are some of your better areas to, to well, you want to check those out too and get trail cameras in those areas. Bernie, he said that, um, you know, the, the gun range is only going Monday through Friday, so it's, it's on the weekends the gun range is closed. But, you know, the majority of his timber is in that northeast corner behind the gun range. Don't you think that would make the deer? I mean, you would think that that constant barrage through the week would make them, no pun intended, or pun intended, I guess, gun shy. Would you <laughs> focus on the the southwest corner where he's got that little block of timber where you kind of get away from the gun range? Or is it too small of an area to, to really see anything, you know, of, of you know, substance? Well, no, I don't think it's too small of an area. I think he said that one's about 350 acres. And so I would spend time in both of those areas. You know, the other thing about the these guys are shooting out there seven days a week. These deer don't have anywhere to go. They just get used to the shops, I think. Uh, you know, he, he called it a firing range, which, you know, the, that that makes you think of a guy sitting down sighting in his rifle at 100 yards. But these guys are probably shooting 50 cals and stuff that really shakes the ground once in a while. And these deer... Um, I've seen I've seen on other military reservations where it doesn't even phase them after a while. They grew up with it. It happens all the time, so I don't see that being a big issue. You know, one other area you see, he's got a pretty good size lake there in that that north uh, east corner as well. In the early season, if you're getting hot temperatures, you know that could be a possible area to set up on as well and try to get them going to water. Uh, is that is is that a a thing that you've ever tried before, or is that something you focus in on when you're hunting public land? Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, that's a really good point because it may not just be the lake, but if there was any little farm ponds or um, it doesn't have to be much water, a lot of times these deer will hit that water before they head out to feed in the 
afternoon and and hot or not hot uh it's a good time uh you know the last couple hours of daylight it's a good time to be sitting over water so that's a really good point yeah Speaking of kind of this situation where, you know, we've talked a little bit about the firing range during the week and things like that. Um, another, I think, concept that a lot of people can apply to any type of public land situation is, again, like you talked about, Bernie, how do you avoid other hunters? You know, 20 hunters on 2,000 acres might not be a lot of hunting pressure for some. For some people, that might be more than they're used to dealing with. Either way, let's just say on any generic public land, you're going to have other hunters probably in and around you. You know, that could in some way affect, impact your hunt. Um, so one way to avoid that, I think, not only is to try to find places where most hunters don't want to go or can't get go or can't get to, but also avoid when other hunters might be out there. And he mentioned that the majority of the, if I remember correctly, the majority of the property is shut down um, during the week. But during the weekend, the whole thing's open. So my assumption is that most of the hunters are out there during the weekend, right, as most do. And then secondly, they're typically probably most of them focusing on that bigger chunk because big timber typically sucks a lot of hunters in because they think, okay, that's where all the big deer are. So one of my thoughts was that in this kind of situation, if he has the flexibility of the schedule, maybe focus on those weekdays when most other hunters aren't going to be out there and focus on, like you said, then not only the spots – or not only at the times when people aren't out there, but then also the, the places where those people might not be able to get to. Do you folk, Do you find any of that happening, those weekday hunts working out better for you on public land? Absolutely, because there's just so much more pressure on the weekends. Um, so, yes, I would say if a guy can alter his schedule. Another thing is maybe consider hunting the mornings more, mm-hmm. where probably most of the hunting pressure is taking place after people get off work mm-hmm. in the afternoon. So might consider a morning hunt um two other things uh you know i deal with hunting pressure all the time in the types of places that i hunt and i run into people in the woods and you can have an adversarial relationship with the people around you or you can I, you know i just try to see everybody as a potential friend and a lot of times i've found that it really helps to say look here's where i'm hunting i gotta stand over here and, um, you know, when the wind is out of this direction, I'll probably be in that stand and then try to, you know, work with people instead of against them. It, that's a real key for me. If you just sit down with somebody and say, look, how can we work this out? You know, I shot a really nice buck in Kansas three years ago. And then uh, I come back the next year and here is a guy in a ladder stand, literally 15 feet from the tree where I shot that buck. And, um, you know, I had a stand in there also and i when i walked in there i i pulled in before daylight and saw a pickup in the parking lot so rather than walk in on his hunt i waited a couple hours and then i went back and uh, and walked in there and uh, we just chatted a little bit and we worked out a, an arrangement that was fair to both of us and you know he decided to hunt certain times and i decided to hunt certain times i ended up shooting another good buck in there that year so um that's that's one way to look at this uh, going back to this property, another issue is these areas that have typical whitetail habitat with, uh, you know, the timber and so forth, that's where the pressure is going to be. Every time he mentioned this uh, old, this pasture and brush, I think he said brush and overgrown pasture or something, I, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but that kind of uh, a light bulb kept going on when I heard that because a lot of times when there's that much pressure, these bucks might be pushed out into more marginal habitat types, and you might be able to find them in areas where other people 
typically wouldn't look for them. You know, maybe uh, around uh, there's housing areas in this military reservation that might have, uh, you know, pretty good-sized deer that are moving in and out uh, of these housing areas and on the fringes of the quality habitat. So that shouldn't be overlooked either. That's a good yeah, point. It's a great point. You know, on, along those lines, um, Steve also sent us a map that showed some additional information. Reg- and specifically, there were some bow-only zones. So I don't know, like he mentioned, if his, if this hunting season on this particular piece of property only goes during the bow season. But given that, I thought maybe it does extend into firearm too. So focusing on those bow-only zones too might also limit who's going to be in there throughout the year. And some of those bow zones were specifically in those regions you're just talking about, Bernie, you know, on the outskirts in some of that CRP type stuff. Um, so not only might it be overlooked, but also not as many hunters will be able to hunt it if, uh, if firearm guys can't get in there. So I think there's, there's some little kind of honey holes like that. He might be able to find given, you know, as you look for these different things to intersect bow only on the edges, you know, not quite as typical whitetail habitat. You might be able to find those areas where where the bigger deer kind of sneak into where you might not expect them to be. So, Bernie, given right. given all that, if we want to kind of wrap this thing up and, and and kind of put one one tactic, what would your one tactic be to try to be successful going into this property? I think my one tactic would be just to learn as much as you can about where they're bedding and feeding. That would be the first thing, and that will lead uh, not just to having a great chance to shooting them when the season opens, but also during the rut, because those aspects of it are really important to setting up in a great spot during the rut when the bucks are going to be checking the doe bedding areas, and they're going to be hitting the fields where the they know the does are feeding, so... You know, just gather as much information as you can. Use those cameras. You know, put a lot of time on uh, walking through those areas. And, um, you know, when you're hunting public land or pressured land like this, you hunt it a little more aggressively than you would if it was your own lease or your own private land where there's areas you just you just wouldn't go into. Um, on, on public land, you don't have any choice but to just walk through them and learn them and uh, try to minimize your impact, but you can't completely get away from it. And so... You have to hunt more aggressively, and that'd be that'd be the biggest issue that I see is just learning as much as you can and pushing the envelope a little bit as far as uh, walking and using trail cameras to learn that. Now, Bernie, you you we mentioned your book earlier, the Freelance Bow Hunter. I think it has a lot of things mentioned in there that could be applied to this type of situation or people in in similar types of circumstances. Can you tell us a little bit about the Freelance Bow Hunter and where people might be able to find that? Yeah, they can buy it from my website, Bernie Outdoors, or I have a blog called bowhuntingroad.com. And uh, the book is really uh, it's geared towards the do-it-yourself public land hunter who's going to a new area, and it just kind of gives strategies for kind of helping sort things out. And um, there's not much information out there on not just learning to hunt a new area, but also, you know, a lot of information on, you know, where are you going to stay, what types of equipment, do you want and so forth there's there's just a, some several chapters in this book about things the first time do-it-yourself traveling hunter might not think of and then there's a large section in the book that has details on 16 states i call them the destination whitetail states in which you really have a chance to go shoot a nice mature buck and uh, it tells which counties have produced the most uh, pope and young bucks in each of the states and so forth so 
it's a real resource for people. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading. I think I read it probably two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, and it's definitely one of my favorites. So I'd recommend anyone listening or watching, check check out that book. It's well worth the read. And uh, I, I got to say, Bernie, I also read a recent article from you in North American Whitetail about your new hunting trailer that you kind of customized, and I'm pretty jealous. That thing looks awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm I'm pretty excited about using that this fall. That's going to be a nice setup. I'm going to be living out of the back of my pickup for two weeks um, out in Montana. And uh, I'm the whole time I'm probably going to be thinking about what a nice setup you have with your <laughs> freezer and your cot and everything all set up in the big pole behind there. So uh, you got it made, my friend. Thank well, thanks you. so much for joining us. Absolutely. We appreciate your time today, Bernie. A lot of insightful uh, information, and hopefully it will help the, the uh, caller uh, get, get honed in on his deer this fall. All right. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, if he does, I hope he sends me a picture. Absolutely. That would be that, awesome. That's a good point, Mark. You know, on all these questions, we should we should ask the viewers to send in any success pictures throughout the fall, whether it's on social media or email us or whatever. And that way we can kind of recap and share with the audience, you know, if, if they did indeed uh, have any success. I would love to see that. That's always one of my favorite things. You know, when you get one of those emails, you know, whether it be from an article I wrote or a podcast or anything, you know, that that's what makes this all worthwhile is when you see someone actually be able to apply something that maybe you talked about and have that turn out well, that that's pretty cool. Absolutely. So please do that. If you're listening or watching, please shoot us a note. And um, I guess then before we wrap it up, just a couple quick reminders about logistics with hunting season coming up, we're going to be pumping out more of these episodes, and we want to make sure we've got some great content for you guys to help you out leading into the season and during. So please make sure to submit your questions for a future episode, and you can do that by visiting wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. Also make sure you're subscribed to the audio podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play. Subscribe on Matt's YouTube channel, Jury Outdoors, to watch the video version. And, uh, Shoot, Matt, you guys have got some great episodes coming out, too. The the Bucktober episode aired this week, didn't it? Absolutely. That, I was just getting ready to get into that. So if, <laughs> if, if you don't have the Outdoor Channel, first of all, you should, if you can, try to check it out on the Outdoor Channel. It's the story of Mark's largest deer of his life. Um, and, and if you have followed the show the last couple of weeks, it's been unbelievable to see kind of the trials and tribulations and, you know, his box blind fell while he and his cameraman were in it. And, you know, they uh, reconstructed it, put it back up. They've had all kinds of encounters, cat, cat and mouse game with this deer they called, called Bucktober. It's been unbelievable. Well, that episode, the episode where he finally gets that face to face encounter with him, uh, aired for the first time yesterday on the outdoor channel on 13 and it'll air a couple more times this week. But uh, we have a pretty cool segment here on the Jury Outdoors YouTube page uh, under the DOD TV, what we call Cutting Room Floor. And every week we've shown Cutting Room Floor footage that didn't make the cut of the, the final episode. We have so much content, it just we can't fit it all in there. So um, they're ranging any, anywhere from 8 to 15 minutes long. And the one that's going to go up later this afternoon, and, and today is August the 3rd, it's going to go up later this afternoon. It kind of chronicles everything 
as it led up to the deer coming in and everything after he leaves and it, it gets pretty emotional and it's just really cool to see kind of the culmination of Mark's entire hunting uh, career, so to speak, and Drury Outdoors, it all kind of culminates into this one pretty powerful moment. So um, definitely check out the Drury Outdoors YouTube page. And, and, and uh, in addition to the DOD TV cutting room floors, we've had a lot of other original episodes that we're pumping out as well. So uh, and al- always check us out on DruryOutdoors.com, Facebook at the official Drury Outdoors page, and Twitter and Instagram at Drury Outdoors. Yeah, I, I got a, I got an early sneak peek at that cutting room floor episode, and that was that was very cool. What a what an amazing deer! It, so it was a magnificent animal for sure. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Matt. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.